Hello and welcome. You're listening to Connected and Ready, an ongoing conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed, brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Gemma Milne. I'm a technology journalist and author, and I'm going to be exploring trends around how companies are adapting to a disrupted world and preparing for tomorrow. We're going to speak to the innovators who are bringing products, operations and people together in new ways. In today's episode, I'm chatting to Peter Torellis, partner at Siemens Advanta, to dive into the world of connected infrastructure and how the data it generates can lead to a more sustainable future, if we know how to harness it. Peter shares why the relationship between humanity and data and technology is key and addresses the need for bigger questions to be wrestled with concerning privacy, ownership and control as connectivity increases. We also discussed why engaging with connected infrastructure today from the perspective of businesses, public bodies or just simply us as citizens is key to shaping the future of infrastructure in society as a whole. Before we start, I want to thank all of you listeners out there. If you have a topic or a person you'd love to hear on the show, please send us an email at connectedandready at microsoft.com. We're so thankful for you all. Now, on with the episode. Peter, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show. Let's start then with a little introduction just to get everybody listening, knowing who you are, what you do, and tell us a little bit about what drew you to your work. Yeah, so uh, Peter Terrell is here. I'm a partner at Siemens Advanta. We are the professional services arm of the uh, global technology powerhouse. So uh, what that means is we really help our customers with digital transformation. So from having an idea of how to use data and, and IT technology and OT technologies and really applying it to their stuff. And their stuff, in my case, is really about hard infrastructure. So it's transportation, it's water, it's energy, and buildings as well. And uh, what drew me to my work, I started off as a computer programmer. And actually, I did some IT consulting. And um, I got an opportunity to work with Siemens on the subway system in New York City. And uh, the first train station that they were rolling out was a train station that I rode as a kid growing up in the Bronx. And uh, the idea of being able to use my computer nerd stuff on things that were real uh, was something that I I fell in love with. And I think within six months of the job, I said, this is something I really want to spend my life doing. And, you know, that was almost 20 years ago. So here we are still working on smart cities before it was called that. We were just putting computers into big things back then. Amazing. I think that's one of the wonderful things about working on things such as infrastructure is you you kind of feel like you're building the stuff that actually makes the world go round, shall we say, as opposed to um, something that's maybe quite intangible. But let's dive in a little bit to this word infrastructure. You know, it's obviously typically been associated with roads and bridges, but um, obviously that's changed. And, you know, you being a, a coder and working with software, of course, that suddenly starts to bring a different element to this idea. So how, how is it defined now? And, and when did that definition start evolving? Yeah, well, if we take it over the umbrella of smart cities, the last time I checked, and it was a couple of years ago, so I'm sure this number is bigger now, there were 122 formal definitions. <laughs> so I would say it's evolving, and it really depends on which lens you look at it through. So I'll, I'll just give you a couple of examples. There's a lens that has to do with social infrastructure. So that's healthcare, education systems, governance and policy. So there's all of this, this stuff that kind of binds us together as a society. And that's really important. And those are also hard assets like schools and hospitals. Um, There's the built infrastructure, which is kind of what you're referring to and really where where I spend my time. So that's 
the buildings that we go in, the water that we drink, energy transmission and distribution and generation of power, um, and of course transportation, cars, trains, planes, automobiles, that kind of stuff, and, and the roads, and then the corresponding uh, hard stuff. Uh, we like to call that, um, it's kind of like humanity's user interface to the planet, right? So it's how people kind of interface with, with Mother Nature and, and with, with the planet itself. And so in there, you'll find other like details like air quality that you may not associate with infrastructure itself, but, but it becomes in that umbrella. And then, you know, since I've grown up with it, um, what's really changed is all of the data. So, um, telecommunications, wireless networks, satellite networks, um, the data itself becoming its own asset class. Um, so you see, I think as the world builds more connective tissue and we have more connective tissue between us to support us, um, you will see more definitions and more things evolve in terms of what is in that connective tissue that is absolutely binding. Yeah, so let's dive in a little bit. What kind of infrastructure data is is being gathered these days? How is it leveraged and also by whom? Perhaps you can give us some some real world examples of how it's impacting people's day to day and in perhaps unexpected ways. Yeah, so I think the space is, is evolving so fast. So there's data that's being leveraged right now, let's say, to analyze tree canopy coverage, right, to make sure that we have greener spaces. And that's a, those are huge IoT projects that are going on that affect how, how parks are designed or, or how people, the quality of their life. I've seen programs where air quality sensors are attached to kids' backpacks that then inform um, air quality policy. There is data that governs how electrons move from a power station to your house. There is a project that we were working on in Brooklyn where people were using blockchain and and distributed ledgers to essentially be prosumers where they were trading energy, solar energy that they were generating on site. So they were consuming energy, but then they were contributing as well. And that was all a kind of a data-centric exchange that that you were having there. Data has a huge impact on how water gets to you, how water is cleaned, how water is moved. So I think that the systems and the, and the data that's used to, to manage these systems and how it informs how those systems evolve affects us in ways that are unimaginable but touch our lives probably every moment of every day. Dynamics 365 is helping businesses of all sizes unify their data and create a digital-first culture. With next-generation ERP and CRM business applications, employees at every level can reason over data, predict trends, and make proactive, more informed decisions. Request a live demo of Dynamics 365 today by following the link in the episode description. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the gathering of the data. We've spoke a lot about how it's how it's utilized and how it's this kind of connector between so many different things. But in terms of how we actually collect it all, that's certainly a task that cannot be done manually. So what sort of technologies are, are being utilized here? I'm assuming AI is, is probably one of the big ones. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I would say um, <clears throat> I think AI and machine learning um, and, and other technologies like data governance technologies are extremely important. But what's really important today is cloud. Cloud providers, all this data needs to go somewhere. It needs to go somewhere where the CPU consumption is affordable, where the storage is affordable. Some of the earliest innovations in Palo Alto was in getting rid of their data centers. 
because they had servers running in City Hall. No one understood why. Because, you know, there's these cloud providers providing this amazing infrastructure that is, you know, what we would say federating all of this data into one place or taking data from all of these different kinds of systems and putting it into one place. The AI needs fertile ground, right, to fertilize. And so the cloud infrastructure provides that landscape, provides that ground um, that then can be fertilized to grow these things of value, right? So the insights and the things that, that we can use to then drive those outcomes and those benefits for our community. Uh, if there's one other technology that is super important here, it's probably distributed ledger technology. The stuff that goes into, you know, to Dogecoin uh, is also super important for guaranteeing the, the safety of the data, the pedigree of the data, the providence of the data, which means knowing where it came from and where it went to and that it stayed in its original form. So. If you match the integrity with the ability to store it, that's the stuff that we're seeing right now. Let's talk a little bit about this idea of like data in action. So we've discussed a lot of various different initiatives where data is collected from, you know, whether it's sensors or people or, or whatever in lots of different kind of schemes, whether it's testing air quality or seeing whether there's a leak and, and so on and so forth. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that data has actually resulted in a perhaps a policy shift or a new innovation or, or something like that, where we've gone insight from it that really has created the change that we need. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of simple ways and, and innovative ways that data is being used to drive innovation in a way that you don't see it. Um, as an example, in a lot of places around the world, a lot of the clean water that's made is actually lost between the time that it's clean and the time that it gets to whoever needs it. So leak detection, using sensors, acoustic sensors and flow sensors and using data analytics and AI and machine learning in order to limit the loss of clean water is an enormous advantage of leveraging data that affects people's lives that they never see. And so that's super important. There's other examples where stuff comes together in a way that you don't realize, but data is really involved there. So, you know, there's this huge movement around fleet electrification, right? Electric vehicles, and there's more electric vehicles coming online every day. And so that charging infrastructure, you need to know where the charger is. And by the way, the utility company needs to have energy to energize that charger. It's not like you just plug it into the ground and then poof, right? It's just working. Not at scale, right? There are some solar power chargers, but at scale, you need a transmission and distribution and power company and a manufacturer of EV chargers and a, and a car manufacturer and the consumer all coming together and mixing data in a way. I mean, the consumer doesn't see it, but there's a huge data exchange, infrastructure to infrastructure communicating, car to charger, charger to utility that people don't see, but it, it's absolutely not only driving innovation in smart cities and in transportation, but also innovation in decarbonization and climate action. So there are big ticket ways, and then there's really simple ways. Like in Illinois, the CIO was telling me a story once in DC about how they had to integrate a bunch of systems so that when a childcare worker had a call where a child needed to be placed in a safe home, that all of those systems being connected used to take like, I don't know, I think hours or days in order to figure out like who's available and who's safe and who's registered and where can they go. And they integrated these systems and on an iPad, I think they got it down to like five minutes, right? That could save somebody's life. And that was the complete IT thing, right? That was a process IT backend 
back office project that resulted in a higher quality of life for children. And so there are a ton of those stories out there. Those are just two that come to mind. Tell me a little bit then more about how, I guess, what some of the tensions or concerns or challenges are with infrastructure data, because if there's a lot of intersection between, you know, private individuals, citizens, private companies, government entities, and so on and so forth. So, you know, there must be a lot of interplay in terms of data gathering and decision making, who owns data, different kind of interactions, different incentives with different kind of stakeholders. Walk us through some of these issues that have to be considered when we're thinking about data infrastructure as this this system that's part of our society. Yeah, so I'll give you two answers. One is kind of a a macro uh, consideration that I think will apply, and then I'll give you some specific examples that detail, like what does that look like in real life? At a macro level, policymaking and rulemaking and understanding the boundary conditions and what constitutes health for large groups of people is something that takes time, that's deliberate, and it's that way on purpose. You want it to be deliberate. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have innovation. That's moving at its own pace, and you want that to be fast and to be agile and to be quick. And so at some point, they need to line up, and there's typically a gap between the pace of innovation and the pace of the rulemaking that you need in order to make sure that it's as safe as we believe is is necessary within all of the constraints. And so broadly speaking, you know, what does privacy mean? What is an ethical use of data? What data should be private? What data should be public? Which is a different thing than should the data on your phone be yours or not? You know, there's models where a private sector is providing infrastructure and the way to finance that infrastructure, which is a community benefit, is through leveraging the data, although the community is generating the data. So whose data is it? Um, so there's no easy, you know, we should just do this, right? It's If you dig into some of this stuff, um, it requires some contemplation. And I think what's really important for folks to understand is these are all unknown, unmet problems, right? It's not like we can just read the history books and like, how did the Romans solve this? Like there is no frame of reference because we're managing uncertainty as we're creating this new future at the same time. So it's exciting. But to get back to your question, there's definitely some stuff, important stuff that we really need to think about that is not a technology thing. It's a it's a human thing. Right. I guess we've spent a bit of time defining this idea of infrastructure and data infrastructure and kind of, I suppose, showcasing how and why the future sort of relies on us thinking about things in this way. Um, But why is this important for particularly businesses, managers of businesses? You know, because I think we've been talking a lot more as, as the public, as humans, why should we care about this? But from a business perspective, I can imagine someone sitting there going, well, my business does this thing over here. It doesn't necessarily, you know, build city infrastructure, so on and so forth. Is it important that businesses of all shapes and sizes and in different areas are I suppose, maybe switching their mindset around infrastructure and and the way that data flows more generally? Or is this something more for for citizens and thinking about engagement and and so on and so forth? Where do you see the conversations and the working out of these tensions and these these social issues sitting? Yeah, there's a couple of good questions in there. So maybe we'll start backwards. Uh, Why should people care? 
I mean, I think from a, from a private sector perspective, the innovation that's coming to help solve those problems is coming out of the private sector. So there's a tremendous commercial opportunity. There's a ton of money to be made, right? So we're talking about a multi-trillion dollar market if you read any report by, by McKinsey or, or some of the larger uh, firms that specialize in quantifying the value of the market. And then there's all of these co-benefits, right? So there's data that, that's required for businesses to account for uh, decarbonization and their achievement of decarbonization targets. There's data that's used for simple things like businesses are thinking about how to get people back to work or how to get a customer to feel safe inside of a building. If you own a small gas station, you are sitting on a data problem. <laughs> And you're sitting on a telecommunication infrastructure decision that maybe you never had to make before. So I think while it may affect people to different degrees, I think that the tidal wave of change will continue to grow. The wave crest will continue to affect more and more businesses of all sizes and all segments of society. You recently wrote a blog post that talks about the sort of the richness of data and how it was driving a new asset class within infrastructure. You wrote it will be valued, regulated and financed just like our physical infrastructure is today. First of all, I think that's perhaps an interesting way of trying to get people's head around this, these sort of shifts and, and perhaps get that sort of buy-in and that, you know, why should we care? But I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit about why this shift is quite so significant so first of all, what do we mean by data as its own asset? Um, that's not an intellectual concept, right? That's an illustration of something that's going on today. There are markets for data. There are brokers for data. Data is being sold and traded as a product, not just the kind of advertising data that you might think about, but all, all kinds of data. And it's becoming more and more of an asset, and it's becoming used in more ways financially than may seem obvious. As an example... In the U.S., infrastructure is, is financed through the bond market, so there's a lot of private finance that goes into building infrastructure. The rating agencies that give local governments credit ratings, like we have credit ratings, local governments have credit ratings. And they've stated that their ability to be resilient, their ability to be sustainable will affect their credit rating, will affect the cost of capital. So one tiny basis point in a $500 million bond could cost that city nine or 10 extra million dollars because of how something is being measured. And data will be the defining factor, the, the providence, the pedigree, and the ability of that data to attest to an attribute like resilience or sustainability will have a direct effect on cost of capital, finance, where money is allocated. So what we're seeing now is things like resiliency and sustainability and infrastructure and data and capital markets, right, are coming together also in a way that we haven't seen before. It's a real thing with real money. You know, you see some of the largest institutional, you know, infrastructure holders in the world are taking public positions on the importance of data and climate and capital. So that comment in the blog was just an articulation. You know, it's not just this fuzzy thing, right? It's a real thing by real actors who are seriously looking at things that are material to people's lives, right? The roads they drive on, the water they drink, and where they live, um, and the debt that they're taking on. So I think that's part of what went into that answer. 
And to kind of build on that as well, this idea of, you know, yes, it makes sense that it's starting to be or is already being thought of as an asset class. And therefore it comes with all of the extra guardrails that asset classes come with. What does that mean in terms of innovation and, you know, I don't want to say slowing down because we need guardrails in order for things to be done right. But tell us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, I think the implication it's having right now is it's, again, generating an incredible amount of innovation because you start to have to ask yourself very simple questions like, how do you collect that data? How do you know that that data is real? If it tells you something is safe or clean or or climate friendly, whatever that means, how do I know that it's source that between it being generated and it being fed into a, you know a financial model somewhere, how do I know that no one touched it in between? I mean, all of the stuff that you need to grab that data out of the infrastructure, out of all of the different systems that run the infrastructure, it's not like <laughs> every pipe in the world has an iPhone on it and we just need to call a company and poof, it all gets there. No, there's, there's tens of thousands of systems. And so... Right now, you see a tremendous amount of startups and grown-ups in the business of you know, instrumenting and finding ways to, to build products and services around gathering and delivering that information. So the implication it has immediately is a ton of innovation and a flow of capital into innovation. And if anything, it's speeding it up. Mm. Yeah, by basically highlighting exactly what we need to work on in order to make it work, I guess. Well, well, if somebody is managing a couple of trillion dollars and says, I care about this now, mm. then there's going to be a bunch of people helping them understand how they should care about <laughs> it and developing stuff around that. Absolutely. Uh, and, the, and and those are the figures we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, a bank who's managing $100 million. We're talking about trillions of dollars in assets and those managers taking a position and saying, we need better data. Let's touch then a little bit on um, one kind of area that you said you've you've been working on, perhaps before the term uh, became trendy, the, the smart cities concept. There's always seems to be various different definitions and it's brought up in many different ways. We'd love to hear um, what your definition of what a smart city is. Yeah, that's a great question and something, frankly, that I've been wrestling with for, <laughs> for a long time. I think where I kind of land on it is how do the institutions, the local governments, the people who live there, the businesses, how do they come together to leverage innovation for community benefit? And in that statement, there's a lot of areas of activity, which is where the definitions flow. So is it sometimes being a smart city that focuses on the internal capacity of the city and the city agencies to leverage data? Sometimes it's a, it's a human resource issue. Sometimes it's how do you buy innovation if it's a first of its kind, right? So it becomes a procurement challenge. Some of the early work around smart cities uh, was something called the Office of Urban Mechanics, right? And they were focused on creating sandboxes where cities could experiment and be agile. How do you measure the performance of the investments that you're making? And how do you get smarter about that? Um, for a lot of cities, being a smart city is about having the right vision. Right? and setting the cadence of what that means for you and what infrastructure you can work on. Some cities have water systems, some cities don't. Uh, some cities have airports, that's where they focus their attention. So in terms of assets, it can change as well. And so because of that, you have this beautiful canvas of problem space, but you will always boil down into leveraging the community broadly, leveraging innovation to drive community benefit. So tell us a little bit about how 
connected infrastructure can improve quality of life for people who live in cities and perhaps what kind of data points and data infrastructures are needed to kind of make the vision of the smart, good, livable human city a reality? I think one of the things that come out of this is our user interface to the commercial world outside of a retail store has completely exploded in terms of its evolution. That same level of change is happening right now to rail infrastructure and water infrastructure and energy infrastructure. And so what the pandemic has done is it's accelerated that, right? Whether it be a virtual concierge or, you know, touchless access to infrastructure or just using your phone to help you navigate where is it safe, what are the policies that are governing something that is akin to what you feel comfortable with, which stores are open? I mean, you're now relying on data in a way just to experience the city itself and the infrastructure in a way that that's never been done before. And that has really only gotten much faster. So the innovation that was forecasted to take a year or two years or five years got compressed into six to 12 months, right? Budgets are being pulled in. Digital transformation for private and public sector is exploding in order to address that new user interface that people need with their urban and suburban landscapes. I want to build a little bit then on this this point around the humans actually interacting with and the humans, I mean us, interacting with our our space. And you particularly, um, you know, with smart cities, we are really taught a lot of it is about public space and shared space and so on and so forth. You know, you've spoken before about the relationship between humans and AIs and how humans will always be the deciders, which is a good term for it. But can you elaborate on how that applies to managing and protecting infrastructure data, particularly when it comes to cities? Because this stuff, you know, I don't think individual people feel that they do decide much about water systems and rail systems and so on and so forth, despite a lot of this being public infrastructure. So how does that all kind of intertwine, particularly when there's so much change happening and perhaps it feels like decisions are being made somewhere by someone about these things that really impact us all? In that particular case, what we're talking about is as you connect more things, things get more complicated. And complication and complexity, you know, it introduces uncertainty. So if you had three pieces of information to make a decision, now you have 3,000 pieces of information. And, you know, there are a lot of examples for things that people don't see. So let's, let's walk through some implications. You get stuff delivered to your house within a day. Well, one of the ways that gets done is boxes get put on bigger boxes, on containers, what you see in a, in a truck. And that truck may now deliver to a train that used to carry coal and now carries a bunch of boxes with a bunch of stuff. That may not seem like a big deal, but if that train is designed to typically go 700 miles with a bucket full of coal, <laughs> and now it has thousands of containers with thousands of boxes, and they, they all need to intersect in this complex network, you have an explosion of information. And somebody still has to decide when the train should leave the station <laughs> or which one is more important. And so you need that information put together in a way that the people who are managing that yard, if you will, can make that decision and decide, I want to optimize for time or I want to optimize for cost, and I need to do that in the next hour. Well, now we need a computer to help something that was typically done on a ledger. We have a planning process 
you know, you don't realize the implication that data's having because you never understood how manual all of the processes were that ran all of this important stuff in your life. So it's less than about, I guess, the control element around making decisions, but rather the feasibility of the decisions even being able to be made in order for the system to run. These days, it's about mathematically expressing an analog reality, right? That's what digitalization is about. It's about taking stuff off of paper, taking stuff that was done analog, taking systems that never talk to each other, connecting them all, and then expressing them mathematically in a piece of software. Once they're in that video game, if you will, that simulation, what we call a digital twin, then you can start asking the model questions. Well, what if we do this and what if we do that, right? And it's going to say, well, if you do this, it goes faster. If you do this, it goes cheaper. Somebody still needs to decide if we value faster over cheaper. And there's where the human decisions, the human values of what's important is still a human thing, right? We're never going to teach computers to decide what's important for us. We can use computers to help gather information as the world becomes more complex to help prepare decisions and provide decision support. And of course, they can make simple decisions if you tell them, you know, if the lights are all green, then the cars can all go, right? There's, there's going to be some level of automation involved. But the really big stuff that's based on what we value, you can't teach a computer to value right now. Even with quantum computers and, and all of the AI um, in the world, you can't teach it to decide what's important for us. And that's where the humanity of it is still in the center. It's still the campfire and the algorithms are just there around it. For a final question, I want to build on this, the word humanity, the humanity in it all. You know, we've had quite a high level, far ranging discussion about these kind of concepts and these ideas. And I think sometimes it can feel, if you're not already working in this space or have a level of expertise, can feel kind of distant and something that perhaps you're not necessarily directly involved with. And it doesn't feel very human in some sense. So I wonder if what would you say are your maybe top tips or your your kind of next steps for people? Perhaps two answers here. One as a person in business and another just as, as a citizen of the world in terms of what is it we should be doing or thinking about or skilling ourselves in or approach taking or <laughs> getting involved, whatever it is, to make sure that we feel that we're part of this building of the future as opposed to it maybe happening to us? Yeah, I would say a couple of things. I think from a business perspective, I think there's an opportunity for education and awareness and there's a lot of great material out there. In terms of public sector entity they typically are not making all of the decisions on their own. I think uh, best practice these days is there's typically a not-for-profit, an intermediary that's bringing together private and public and academic institutions and scientific institutions because that intercomplexity that we talked about is also happening socially. It's not just the machines being connected, it's all of these institutions being connected. And so in every major city, there is a non-for-profit, there is a foundation, there's an organization involved that would be happy to talk to anybody and frankly get input from folks on what's important to them. I think it's about picking your head up in your daily life and understanding that there is this thing going on that is a part of your life. But, you know, right now we're drowning in information. So, I mean, in my day-to-day -day life, having a young family, my... 
you know, I'm trying to get school supplies. I'm trying to get them to school. I'm trying to get to work. Uh, during the pandemic, I'm trying to figure out, you know, where to get toilet paper from. I'm certainly not thinking about, you know, is there a 501c3 nearby that's, you know, putting together something around data policy and data governance that can affect me? I'm just not ever having that thought. But that doesn't mean that that organization doesn't exist, isn't working on that policy, and doesn't very much want to hear from me and care about what citizens think about how their data is being used. And so for those people who have interest and for those people who, you know, it's important to them and we all have to figure out how we spend our time, I think there's a lot of great places in a lot of communities, certainly in major cities, where there's an avenue for that to be for that to happen, for the education and awareness to happen on the citizen side and for their voice to be heard and for their contribution to be made in the discussion. Amazing. Peter, I think you, you've made a really good case for not only just the, the importance of I guess this shifts that we're that we're seeing, um, not just in terms of tech, but really this kind of new way, not new way, the fact that our world is working in a slightly different way than it was before. Um, and, you know, this is happening whether we like it or not. There's opportunity there, but there's also big questions and a lot still to be answered. And hopefully I think you've made a good case there and given some good pointers as to how people, whether it's businesses, individuals, no matter how much um, your sort of level of insight and engagement already can get involved and, and hopefully be part of this quite big conversation is clearly going to be ongoing. So Peter, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show and sharing your insights today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, we really appreciate it. And um, uh, although there's a lot of big stuff happening, the future as we see it is extremely bright and there's a lot of really great things coming. Um, and so it's something that we're super excited about. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find out more about Peter's work and indeed some of the broader themes we discussed today in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, please do take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. It really helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to hit subscribe and tune in next time to continue our conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed. Dynamics 365 delivers next-generation ERP and CRM business applications, helping employees at every level reason over data, predict trends, and make proactive, more informed decisions. Request a live demo of Dynamics 365 today by following the link in the episode description.